Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us, thank you so much for being with us. If you would, be open your Bibles to Genesis, the sixth chapter. Genesis, the sixth chapter. We are uh, thankful to be able to announce to you that this morning there was uh, about $23,680 given in the special contribution for the hurricane relief. And a portion of that money will be used uh, in the truck that was delivered this past week. We appreciate Jeff Brown and Ben Summers uh, for driving that load down uh, to Algiers, Nor uh, New Orleans, uh, to that area, that community. And we are thankful to be a part of a relief effort to help others, which is no doubt what God would want us to do in fulfilling the second greatest command. If you remember back a couple of weeks ago, 10,000 was given out of the So right now, we will have given as a congregation uh, over $33,000, and I'm sure that there's some of you that probably were not here this morning that you'll want to give as a part of that too, and be sure if you want to give uh, on that special contribution to see uh, one of the elders uh, this evening with that, or of course in the future as we will try to continue helping as the needs are there. We are thankful for our young people. Uh, they, many of them, have been this past weekend to Rush, a, a spiritual event at Fried Hardeman University, and we appreciate you guys uh, feeding your soul and, and feeding your spiritual life, and we appreciate the adults that went on that and, and the great uh, group that we have that works along with our youth. Uh, also, a part of that, Phil and Andrew spoke uh, at that, taught a class at that gathering, and so they touched the lives of a lot of kids this weekend, and we're thankful for that. We're also thankful for our ladies that worked to put together a, a tremendous day yesterday in the Ladies' Day, and we also want to keep in mind in our prayers Miss West's family, and of course us as a spiritual family, as we have lost a wonderful, wonderful lady. Isn't it interesting the way the Bible fits together? You know, sometimes we talk about those stories that if we've been attending Bible class from the time we were knee-high, it's stories that we've heard over and over again. Tonight, I'd like for us to look at one of these fascinating stories. It's fascinating because when we think about a man building an ark that was so large that really no vessels compared in size to almost the 20th century, but yet he built it all the way back in the days of Genesis 6. But yet it also is a terrible story. It's terrible when we think about the loss of lives because of their wickedness. But what if we could ask other inspired writers, what is it you want us to glean from this story? You see, that's wonderful the way the Bible fits together. In other words, tonight, let's take a minute and say, Jesus, what is it you want us to learn about the story of, of Noah and the ark? Or we could ask the Hebrew writer, what is it you want us to learn about this story? Or we could ask Peter, what is it you want us to learn about this story? All of us have learned about this story, and no doubt we've learned wonderful lessons. But tonight, let's spend just a moment reminding ourselves of this story, and then let's see what inspired writers would have us to see about it. And by the way, we're not looking at all of them. There are other writers even in the Old Testament that have used this story as teaching tools and illustrations. Let's look to Genesis, the sixth chapter. As in just a moment, we'll read verse 5 as it's on the screen. We see that the problem that's building up, as we're going to look first at the condition of the world that surrounded Noah, we see that they begin to intermarry. The righteous begin to marry the wicked. 
And then what happens when people marry? Well, oftentimes what happens is they have children. Well, what happens when a righteous man or woman marries a wicked man or woman? Too oftentimes the children become wicked. And that's what was happening over time. And so generation after generation, the world was becoming more wicked until we reached the point in verse 5, Genesis the 6. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. First, we see him describe the wicked actions. In other words, the wickedness of the world. And we could stop and say, how did the world get to be so wicked? Well, one answer in verse 6 is... It started in their hearts. We know the proverb writer tells us that all the issues of life flow from the heart. You see, their heart was set upon wickedness. They thought continually upon wickedness. And so Noah lived in a day where the condition of the world was literally everyone had wicked thoughts and wicked actions. When his kids came in and said, Daddy, Daddy, everybody else is doing it. Even though you say it's wrong, everybody else is doing it. Noah could probably say, you know, you're exactly right. Everybody else is doing it, but we've made our stand. We're staying with God. So let's see the command of God. We're in Genesis, the sixth chapter now, in verse 14. And he says in verse 14, and as we're about to read that, I want to remind you that in verse 8 and 9, we see that Noah was the only one out of this wicked world that found grace in the sight of God. The reason he found grace in verse 9 was because he was a just man, perfect in his generation, and he walked with God. So finding Noah as that exception in a wicked world, he gives him a command. Let's look at verse 14 and 15. He says, Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. And this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits. Its its width, 50 cubits. And its height, 30 cubits. Now we could read on, but you get the idea. God gives a very specific project with specific details. And we notice not only this, he gives him a challenge in this. Never before had there been a flood. Probably never before had there been a hard rain. Never before had he probably seen a boat, anything like this. Never before surely could he have ever imagined taking animals into an ark. The point is, he obeyed. Probably couldn't understand all of it at the beginning. But think years later how he was able to look back and see how important his submissive spirit to God really was. God's command. God does not mind asking us to obey. And I need to note this. He does not mind asking great things of us. If my idea is my God will never ask me to do something big, I haven't read much in the Bible. Because we see God having no problem asking big things of many individuals. Now let's see the obedience of Noah as it's summed up in Genesis the 6th chapter and verse 22. Thus Noah did. According to all that God commanded him, so he did. Let's skip down and read the 7th chapter and verse 5. It's just a reiteration. And Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. Notice in those two verses, it's real clear. Noah obeyed. Now, if we wanted to emphasize it, the Lord would use the word all as He spoke about Noah's obedience. All that He commanded him, He did. That ought to be our goal in life. I'm not suggesting to you that you and I can work our way into heaven and that we...
merit a system or, or that there's a system where we could actually merit or deserve our salvation? Absolutely not. But the idea of us saying, I truly do want to submit to God in everything. I truly do want to obey God in all things. We ought to be Noah-like in that situation. Now, you will remember that he built the ark. He took the animals in two by two, except for the clean animals, and he took seven of those in. Seven days after they entered the ark, the Lord shut the door and it began to rain. They were on that ark for about a year. And at the end of that year, living creatures had deceased. Eight people exited that ark, and God gave them the command to multiply, to replenish the earth. An amazing story. A story that's worth turning the radio off in the morning on your way to work and meditating. Am I very much like Noah? Can I stand strong when peers around me do not? Will I obey God in all things? Will I receive blessings later on in my life because of the way I'm living now? Oh, we could go for days talking about the lessons that we could learn if we'll meditate upon such a powerful story. But instead tonight, let's ask Jesus... What do you want us to learn? And let's go to Matthew, the 24th chapter, as Jesus talks about the end of times. The end of times when Jesus comes again. And out of all the ways He could have taught this, and of all the examples He could have used, He said, here's how you can understand this. If you can understand the world in Noah's day, you can understand some powerful lessons learned about the end of time. And so Jesus speaks about Noah's world, okay? He speaks about Noah's world. Let's look at Matthew, the 24th chapter, beginning of verse 35. Heaven and earth will pass away. This is Matthew 24 and 35. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Now at that point you say, wait a minute, I don't see that this is really talking about the world. It sounds like it's talking about Noah. Listen for the pronoun they in the New King James translation here. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know, he's talking about they, the world, they did not know until the flood came and took them all away so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. There are many things that we can learn about the condition of the world at the end of times because we can see the illustration that Jesus gave of Noah. Let's look at this next slide. And for time's sake tonight, we can only hit these as bullet points because there's three other passages that we want to look to. But notice these bullets and think about this. The vast majority will reject God. That's why Jesus uses the world... In Noah's day, out of the whole population, only eight were saved. When Jesus comes again, the majority will not be prepared. Jesus would say in a sermon, few there be that find it, as he spoke about the way to heaven. Second, the vast majority will have no awareness of the impending disaster. You see, they were just carrying on with their life. That's why the next bullet, normal pursuits of mankind will continue. They were eating, they were drinking, they were just carrying on with day-to-day life. And you know, think about when the eight of them entered the ark and all these animals entered the ark. It was really a countdown. Seven days, that's all you have, world. Seven days and you're going to be dying. The water is starting to pour in seven days. They didn't care. They kept living. Do you realize that the world today is in a countdown? 
How many people in the world care? That's what breaks our hearts as Christians. How do we get people to care? How do we get them to realize that this life, this life is just a vapor? And the real thing, the thing that matters the most, eternity, living with God for an eternity, that's what matters. And so as time counts down, we need to be prepared and excited. But yet the world sees it as just an everyday event. Life goes on. Ignorance of God and His design will continue into the end. The righteous will live in close proximity with the wicked. Noah was right there in his community. If we read on in this passage, we'd see that those are working in the field together, and etc. And we also see from the example of Noah is that it's going to happen suddenly. In other words, the Lord isn't going to come down and say, I want to make an announcement to the whole world. You have seven days. No. There's not going to be an announcement, just like there was no announcement in Noah's day. When the flood came, those that had not prepared, which was everyone except eight, they faced disaster, destruction. Let's go to Hebrews, the 11th chapter. Those were the words of Jesus about Noah and the condition of the world that surrounded Noah. But let's think about what an inspired writer would say to us about Noah. I have found that the more I study Noah, the more he becomes one of my favorite characters in the Bible. It's amazing. His faith, his commitment, his willingness to stand alone, his his, uh, courage to face a tough challenge. These things are amazing. Here's what the Hebrew writer would say, as, as he too would say, if I had to pick out a hall of faith, if I had to pick out some of the greats, I've got to immediately go to that man named Noah. And in one verse, he would say quite a bit about this one man. We're in Hebrews 11, chapter verse 7. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. Let's look at these bullets on the next screen. When we see Noah's faith, we see that the Hebrew writer wanted us to see this. It was by faith that he lived, not by sight. We've already mentioned when we were back in Genesis, the 6th chapter and 7th chapter looking, so much of what he was called to do was based upon things that he had never seen. Why are you excited about heaven? You know, someone in the world, that may be hard to describe to them so they can understand it because people in the world are used to living by sight. Christians, they learn and they even grow to do it better as they mature. They learn to live by faith, not by sight. Noah, why are you going to work on a boat that's so huge? You've never seen a boat like that. I've seen God. I know His ways are right, and this is the command He's given me. And so even though I've never seen a boat like that, I'm going to build a boat like that because I know when God gives dimensions, they're right. I know when God tells supplies that should be used, He's right. Noah, you've never seen a flood like that. Why Why are you going to build? God said there's going to be a flood. And I know when God says there's going to be a flood, there's going to be a flood. How many times do we pause or hesitate about doing things because we want to see some proof? We want to see... Did that get your attention? We want to see. We want to see. And God's saying No! I want you to have faith. God says, I want you to obey when you can't see. I want you to build an ark when you've never seen a flood. 
I want you to build an ark when you've never seen a boat that size. I want you to plan on living with animals for a year when you've never lived with animals for a year. Noah's mentioned in the Hall of Faith because he proved himself to be perhaps one of the most faithful individuals that's ever lived. But notice also these other bullets. Because of that, that moved him to prepare an ark. Because of his faithfulness, it helped his family to be saved also. But also because of his faithfulness, he condemned the world. It wasn't his choice to condemn the world, but please note this. If you and I believe in a plan of salvation that saves, and we give our life to that, it is just a fact that those that do not obey that is lost. And if that's not true, then what we believe is not true. Noah condemned the world. How did Noah condemn the world? Noah said, I've got to build this ark. Noah, why are you building that ark? Because everybody's not on that ark is going to be lost. They're going to perish. You see, it is important for me to think about to what convictions I believe the Word of God. And all of those positive things that I believe about heaven and I believe about the plan of salvation and I believe about the grace of God and I believe about the importance of the Lord's body, the church. All of those things that I believe that are so important about that, I have to realize that the opposite of those are true also. If the saved are added to the church, that means those that are not in the church are not saved. The church condemns the world. If there's a plan of salvation that's taught by the Lord and I obey that plan of salvation, I have to accept the fact that those that do not obey that plan of salvation are lost. Why do you think God wants us to see that? I didn't come up with that. That's Bible. That's what the Hebrew writer wanted us to see about Noah. Why does he want us to see that? I believe he wants us to see it for motivation. For us to realize not how only how important it is for us to live a righteous life, but if it is that important for us to live a righteous life, it is just as important for us to encourage the wicked to depart from that life and also live the righteous life. But then also, finally about this point, Noah's going to be an heir of righteousness. We can't be righteous on our own. We must inherit the righteousness of God as we submit to His will. So we've seen what Jesus said about the world. We've seen what the Hebrew writer has said about Noah. Now let's turn over, if you will, to 2 Peter, the second chapter, and let's see what Peter would say about God. When we go to 2 Peter, on the screen you're going to see verse 5. I'm going to go ahead in 2 Peter, the second chapter, and I'm going to start reading verse 4 so we get the beginning of the paragraph here. But notice what it said about God. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into the chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. Now here we go about Noah. And did not spare the ancient world. Who didn't spare? God did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of the eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. Now who brought in the flood? God did. Who saved Noah? God did. Who allowed the world to perish? God did. Let's skip down now to verse 9. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. Now this idea that there's a God in the Old Testament and then there's a different God in the New Testament just doesn't jive in Bible study. Because too often times, 
The New Testament uses the Old Testament as illustration. God is the same God all the way through both covenants. God hasn't changed. And here's one of the times where we are seen by inspired writing the severity of God. Other passages show us the grace of God. And I need to believe everything that the Scripture says about the grace of God. But I also need to believe everything that the Scripture says about the severity of God. And when I understand both of those, I can have an understanding that is balanced. The danger is any time we go to one extreme or the other to ignore the other extreme. Well, notice as we look at the next slide of God's justice here, as this passage is just pulling out some main bullet points. God would not spare the world that rejected Him. How many times have you said in casual conversation and someone has said to you, and if you haven't yet, if you live a Christian life very long and people know that you're Christians, they're going to say this to you sometime. So you really believe that most of the world is going to die lost and God would let that happen. Not in any kind of pride or gloating situation should we answer that, but with a broken heart, knowing the truth, we should say, yes. Because God said so. And He even used the illustration of Noah to prove it. God will not spare the world that rejects Him. Another bullet point that we see here is that God did offer a preacher of righteousness for them. That's not said anywhere in the Old Testament. This is one of those truths about an Old Testament story that we learn in the New Testament. The world was going to be condemned unless they would turn. And Noah had over a hundred years in the preparation of the ark to prepare that ark. And now we read over Peter saying, he did go out and preach righteousness. Friends, it wasn't that God wanted to condemn the world. He offered a solution and the world wouldn't accept. And so from this, we see out of verse 9, we see that God would save the righteous, those that submitted their life to Him. But we also see the other side of that coin. And that is God rejected the wicked. Now we've seen... You might say the uh, major characters of the story of Noah. We've seen the world, we've seen Noah, and we've seen God. Now, you could even ask a little child, what else is in the story of Noah? And they probably could tell you. There's an ark and a lot of water. Well, let's close tonight with Peter. Just back up a page in your Bible, back to 1 Peter, the third chapter, and he uses this story to talk about that water. 1 Peter the third chapter and verse 20, we're going to read 20 and 21. Picking up in the middle of a sentence, he said, who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering... Now that tells us something about God in the story of Noah. He had divine long-suffering. What was he waiting upon? He was waiting in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few... That's the point again, only a few... That is, eight souls were saved, and now Peter's going to place an emphasis somewhere other than God. Here he's going to place an emphasis, not to take God out of the picture, but to emphasize the element. They were saved how? They were saved through water. 
You see, Peter is trying to give an introduction, a transition uh, phrase here to say, I want to talk to you just a moment about baptism. And so he says, look in the day. There was a day that a lot of people perished, but also a few were saved. How were those few saved? They were saved through water. Well, let's read on in 21. There is also an antitype which now saves us. Baptism. That's not the removal of the filth of the flesh. It's not taking a bath. But it's the answer of a good conscience toward God. It's submitting to the will of God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so as we look at these next bullets, we see these lessons. We see that it was the water that destroyed the wicked. Now, it's not a pretty sight to picture. But imagine the flood. And the water became somewhat of a dividing point. Everyone that was under the water perished. Everyone that was floating up on the water was literally being delivered through the water as they were saved. And Peter writes and says, I want you to see those same boundaries about baptism. Everyone that is on one side of baptism A world that says, I don't need God. I'm not going to obey His plan of salvation. Those on that side of the water will perish. Those that pass through, that's what Peter said, through the water. Those that pass through the waters of baptism can literally be delivered. The power's not in the water, and that's not what Peter is trying to say, but he is showing the importance of baptism because that is God's design. The place and time that God says, I'll take away the guilt of your sin. Tonight, we've studied a powerful story, a story that calls us to a high living, a high standard, a high calling. This story helps us understand the severity but the graciousness of God. A God that wants to save. A God that wants us to pass through that water where we can reach His grace that is reaching out to us. It also is a story that tells us something about the world. It tells us something about ourselves. Am I more like the world? I'm a more like Noah. Using that water as a boundary, am I on the wrong side of baptism or the right side of baptism? Tonight, if you've never been baptized into Christ, that's what makes it powerful. Won't you do that tonight? You know, Noah, he obeyed all that the Lord commanded. That's one of the things that the Lord commands of us to become His child, to believe that He is the Son of God, to repent of sins, confess before men, and to be baptized into Christ for the remission of sins. If you have been baptized into Christ, but somewhere along the way, you've lost that focus of really saying, I want to devote all of my life to God. I want to obey all of His commands. As we see this story in Genesis in the beginning of the Bible, we see toward the end of the Bible that of Laodicea that was lukewarm, only obeyed part of God's commands. He says, I'll spew you out.
tonight. Let's be like Noah. If we can help you in any way, if we can encourage you in any way, if we can pray with you, please come as we stand, as we sing.